so just get ready for it. Now, tonight we're starting the Ephesians study. Now, that's only five chapters, isn't it? Five or six, I forget which one it is now. I believe it's very short, so it's not going to take us a year and a half like the last one did, Revelation. But we're going to start the Ephesians study tonight, and I wanted to use this morning as a promotion. I want to let you know what's going on in the book in the book of uh, uh, Ephesians. <laughs> it's one of the, one of those days, <clears throat> and it's uh, so I wanted to introduce it to you in a message this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter one verses one through three, as we begin this study, and hopefully this is going to encourage you to be here at night in our Ephesians study back in the fellowship hall. We meet back there each Sunday night, and we have a little fellowship, not a meal, but just some snacks, I guess you say, and just have a good time, and we're going to continue doing that. We started that in the Revelation study, and of course, it went a little over years, so we're going to just continue that and see how it works. So that's, that's at 6 o'clock tonight, back in the fellowship hall. If you don't know where that is, just go down the hall all the way to, your right, to the end of the right, and you'll see it there. As we read these verses together, verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians. I guess I've got to go back to the right page here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank You for this little book that we're about to begin tonight and even this morning. And that, Lord, You would just open our hearts and our minds that we could see how this fits us so much. It's a place that where we can find what we need to be in Christ, what we are in Christ in many cases. And, Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds as we study this book this morning as well as tonight as we go through this little short book. But, Lord, the power and the importance it has to each one of us. Go with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, like I say, I'm, I'm using this this morning as an introduction to the book of, Revel, uh, book, book of Revelations. <laughs> we finished that one. Book of Ephesians. This is a powerful little book. Number one, it tells us how to live. It tells us what kind of people we're to be. Now, I'm talking about church people, the Christian people. It tells us many things that we need to know about the Christian life in this short little book. But it's so power-packed as we begin this. We're going to learn a lot about God's plan for your life and my life. We'll see that he laid this out. He doesn't want to hide his will from us. I've had people say, well, how do you seek and find God's will? All you got to do is ask him. He'll tell you. He'll lay it out for you. It may not be specifics in every day's life, but he wants you to understand his will. It's not something we play hide and seek. It's something that we can gladly go to and he will show us. And this little book is part of it right here. You don't have to be a around me very long that I don't like to use and don't like to hear people using the words, well, that's, you've been lucky. No, I've not been lucky. I've been blessed, folks. 
We don't have, luck doesn't have anything to do with it. I know that we look at things and so forth and good luck charms and all that stuff, but I don't like to use the word luck. I've never had luck in my life. Luck, luck got me in a whole lot of messes. But God's grace got me out of a whole lot of messes. That's what this little book's about. So I don't like the words, well, good luck to you, this kind of thing. So I, I try not to use them. Sometimes I might mess up and say something, but I don't like to use the word luck because we don't have luck, folks. We are blessed by God. A lot of Christians are like a wasp, W-A-S-P. Now, I didn't know this until last week, and I, I just came across this, and I thought, I'm going to use that. I like that. Did you realize when a wasp first comes out of the egg, that it's bigger then than it is any other time in its life? I didn't believe it either. Go check it out. A wasp is bigger when it's first born than any other time in its life. Now, what does that, what are, what does that have to do with whatever we're talking about this morning? It continually, to, continually sinks, continually shrinks, is the word I was looking for, not stinks, shrinks, it continually shrinks in size until it dies. When a lot of people are first born into the kingdom of God, I think they're sort of like a wasp. Think about it. Even in every one of our lives, I'm sure when you first got saved, man, you were excited. You couldn't, get wait. you couldn't wait to get to church the next week, get in the Bible school class, Bible study class, and all these things. You wanted to just soak it all up. At least that's how I was anyway. I just, I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. But as time goes on, we begin to shrink in our spiritual life. And we begin to get smaller as Christians. Not physically, but our love for it doesn't seem to be what it used to be many times. Even for people that come every week. But I would safely say, you know, we I don't know how many we've got here this morning, but not as many as we need, I'll put it that way. We've got many more people outside these walls that belong to this church, and some of them I've never met other than on the streets, perhaps, because they have no desire to come back to church. They've shrunk as a Christian. Yes, that first time, it was real, it was live, it was exciting in their life. What happened? Why do they fizzle out? There could be many reasons. We won't go through that today, but there's a lot of things in that that takes place. When God first saved us, we were so excited. I mean, you just couldn't get enough of it. I've just got to go back to that Sunday school class. I, I just like that teacher. I just want to hear him teach and learn all we could. But yet as time goes on, it doesn't seem like it's that important anymore. It seems we lost the glow that we used to have, if you will. That's a real problem. Ephesians is a book about how to grow as a Christian. How to increase your intimacy with God. It's not how high you jump when you get saved. It's how straight you walk when you come down. This little book is a guidebook for growth. Now, I'll just tell you, if you don't want to grow as a Christian, don't bother coming tonight. But if you have a desire to grow in your Christian life, regardless of what age you are, come tonight. We're going to have a good time in this little book. It just, it's a live book. It's, it's active. It's everything else. In fact, several years ago, John MacArthur, the great Bible preacher from the West Coast, 
he preached through the book of Ephesians. Here's what he said. He said his church was totally revolutionized. Now, by the way, that's a large church out there if you don't know who John MacArthur is. He writes books. I'm a great speaker and so forth. But he said his church was totally revolutionized when he preached from Ephesians because Christians began to wake up in his church and understand what their place was in Christ. And folks, that will excite you when you find out. Maybe you forgot it. Maybe you didn't know it. But let me challenge you and encourage you tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to start the little book of Ephesians. It won't take very long, like I say. It's just five or six chapters. It tells us the first three chapters give us the position in Christ, who we are. And I've got news for you. You'll probably find out some things that you didn't realize about Ephesians. Because it tells us who we are or who we should be in Christ. And then it tells us how to get there if we're not that. So that's an exciting book. The first three chapters tell us what we believe. The last three chapters tell us how we ought to behave. That's something we all could use, isn't it? The first three chapters deal with doctrine. The last three chapters deal with our duty. In Christ. The one thing I like about the epistles in the Bible is you don't have to go to the end of the book to find out who wrote it. It says it right from the front. I like those little letters that were written. The author of the letter always gives his name first. Paul, in this case, let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Now, I know a lot of you know the story of Paul and so forth. I'm going to tell a little bit different story that maybe you could grasp it a little bit if you don't know it. Paul was raised in a very influential family. We infer that because the fa- his father was wealthy enough to purchase a Roman citizenship, and that was very, very expensive in this day and age. Paul was sent to the finest schools in Jerusalem. He studied under the master teacher Gamaliel, and when he had graduated, he was immediately employed in the Judaism, the, Judas, uh, the Jewish church. <laughs> you might say, well, he worked for a company called Jews or Us. Now, bear with me. I'm going to use my interpretation of this. Or perhaps something like that. He was a rising young executive in that company. But they began to get some competition from an upstart company called Real Christianity. Real Christianity began to grow, and it was a competitor of Jews or us. And it became Paul's job to try to subvert real Christianity. One day, Paul was on a business trip to Damascus. His purpose on this business trip was to arrest and persecute some of the employees of real Christianity. But on the, road, on the road to Damascus, the founder and CEO of Real Christianity suddenly appeared before him. By the way, CEO stands for Chief Eternal Officer. The Lord Jesus appeared to him on the road and said, Paul, why are you fighting against me? In fact, Paul, I want to recruit you from my company. And I want you to lead up a new division called IMG, International Ministries to Gentiles. 
By the way, let me stop here a minute. We've got, we've got a lady visiting with us today. Uh, she has been a missionary, and she's in our class, in our study today. And so we, we, I've done forgot your name, I'm sorry. Anita, that ought to be easy to remember. But uh, she was a missionary, and so she can teach us a lot of things. So we may just have to, she's going to be in Copper's Cove for a while, so we may have to use her quite a bit, especially with a, you know, Lottie Moon and all this stuff coming up very shortly. Anyway, I don't mean to embarrass you, but we're, we're glad to have you this morning. The Lord Jesus appeared on this road and said, Paul, I want you to come to work for me, basically. I want you to go to the Gentile world and preach salvation by grace. That's not what Paul had been taught. He, taught that the, he was taught that the ones that really mattered were the Jews. That's who were important. And so we see him here. Now, we're told that probably, you know, now nobody knows for sure, but he was probably around the age of 55 at this time. He made a tremendous life, midlife career change, to say the least. He began working for this fledgling company called Real Christianity. Of course, his former company hated him. In fact, they set out to put him to death. You talk about the corporate headhunters, they were. They were really after his head. They wanted to kill him. And they almost succeeded. They wanted to cut it off. So for the next 20 years, Paul was trying to keep one step in front of this, his former employees, if you will. They succeeded finally in having him brought before the Roman authorities. And Paul ended up in prison. We can guess that he was around 55 years old. You ought to really be thinking about uh, retirement at that age. I was sitting down the other day. I'm, I'm getting pretty close to retirement and began to figure it out. And I figured out that I can retire at 103. So it's probably going to be our case. You are stuck with it for a long time. But anyway, it's, uh, Paul was at that age. He should have been slowing down, but he was speeding up because he was doing what God taught him to do. And his mission was to go out and share the Christ, share Christ with people like you and I. That without that first start, we could have never come to know who Jesus is. It would have been impossible. Because the Jews had control of everything. A lot of us are like that. About 55, we start thinking about slowing down. At 55, old Paul decided he needs to speed up. Because he doesn't have that much time left. Paul began to write letters to the Christians in the churches. He wrote this letter here in Ephesus, to Ephesus while he was in prison. You need to know that because it was so full of joy and things, remember, he's in prison. Paul wrote this little letter in Ephesians, and he talks about the joy that we have and the pleasure we have and all the things that we have going for us. He's in prison, folks. And by the way, the prison that we have today is not even close to what it was back then. Basically, they just dug a big hole and put you down in it. It could be sometimes a cave or something like that, but it was you had no way of getting out. Unless somebody opened the gates and pulled you out, you were stuck there. At this day and age, they didn't have prison mills three times a day like we do in our prison system now. Not that I've ever been there, but it just, you know, I've got a wife that works there. She was in prison, so it just, uh, <laughs> but it's, 
they don't feed them three meals a day. If they ate, they had to depend on friends like you and me to bring them food and things they needed. Otherwise, they did without. That's the horror that it was. And so that's the situation we find Paul, this brilliant scholar from the Jewish education and from the life that he had of privilege in a prison cell. And by the way, the second time he went into prison, he was there on a charge that would cost his life. He was to be put to death. He didn't know when. It could be any day. I would imagine every time they opened that door, he would think, is it my turn? And so that's the situation with Paul. Now, this takes place before that, of course, a little bit. But I want you to understand where Paul's coming from and what he has to face. Remember, all he would have had to do is denounce Jesus Christ and probably been set free. Going back to the Jews and begin to speak, uh, teach at the synagogues and so forth. He could have escaped it. I'm going to take off my jacket. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just a little hot this morning. I don't know. Well, I can't do that. I've got that microphone here. Never mind. We'll leave it on. <clears throat> but anyway, Paul begins by talking about the blessings that are ours in Christians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to, God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed... Listen to this. This is very important. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Somebody care to tell me what that means? What does that mean? Did you hear what he says? Did you notice it's past tense? He says, has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. You know what that means to me today? One of these days, I'm going to be up there. Because he just said I would be. Not only that, is in my daily life, I will have blessings beyond recognition sometimes. Because Jesus just said it. Jesus don't lie. I may tell a fib every now and then. I know some of y'all do. But he said, I'll bless you with every spiritual blessing. I can't get my head around that. I don't understand that completely. What's he saying to us? Number one, the saints who receive the blessings. Notice six things about our blessings. Remember, you're not lucky if you're a child of God. You are blessed as a child of God. Notice the saints who receive the blessing. Paul says in verse 1, I am writing this letter to the saints. Who are they? This is exactly what the Bible says. The faithful in Christ Jesus. That's pretty simple. Why couldn't I grasp that? There's a song that comes out of New Orleans. Probably everybody sang it. When the saints go marching in. Lord, I want to be in that number. If you're a born-again child of God, you are in that number. Period. There's not I want to be. Now, some of you may need to be, but that's not what God says. 
If you're a child of God today, if you've been saved, if you've been baptized, if God, if Christ is in your life, you are a chosen one. You'll be in that number when the day comes. You are a saint. I know some of you don't look much like saints, and some of you don't act like saints, but just because you're a saint don't mean you ain't. I worked hard on that. Y'all didn't even, didn't even giggle, huh? <coughs> We have so much confusion about saints, and I think it comes from the practice and the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. And I don't want to talk bad about them by any means, but, but they determined several hundred years ago a person could achieve sainthood if they had been dead for over 100, 100 years, if they were still venerated, especially if they were martyrs. Now, I don't think we got anybody here as a martyr, or has been, and if they performed at least two miracles, according to their standards, then the Roman Catholic Church could officially bestow sainthood upon them. That's not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says whatsoever. That's why in some Bibles, perhaps some of you are here today, that you see in the chapters, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. Matthew, these, because they were looked upon as a saint of a person well guess what if you're a child of god i'm looking at a lot of saints right here right now every one of us if you know jesus christ as he's in your life living you are a saint according to jesus now I, again i don't want to talk bad about the catholic church but i would rather take jesus word than their word frankly that's just my opinion so just bear with me that's not what the bible says that's why some of us may wear a St. Christopher cross. There's nothing wrong with it. If you want to wear one, wear it. But just understand it doesn't mean what some people say it means. You're a saint because you're a child of God. That's the only reason you're a saint. And that's in past term, past tense, by the way. Did you say it? it will be? We're going to be a saint one of these days. Let's move along. Instead, the Bible teaches who we are alive, believers, we are the saints. Joe, I just almost lost my cough drop, but I got back in before I spit it, so you, you didn't have to do anything. So. <clears throat> now I swallowed and going to choke to death. <clears throat> you don't have to die to be a saint. There are only two kinds of people on this earth. Did you know that? You're either a saint or you ain't. It includes every one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. You're either a saint or you ain't. So the promise is to you as a saint. What's the promise? That God will give us every spiritual blessing. Think about that for a moment. That's an awesome statement. That God will give us every spiritual blessing. Let's move along because that changes a little bit. The source of our blessing. The second thing is the source of the blessing. Where does it come from? Verse 3 tells us. God and Father. God our Father is the source of all these blessings. You are wealthy. Let me borrow your imagination for just a moment. And watch with me. Imagine that tomorrow you went to your mailbox or... You go down to the post office and you find a letter postmarked New York City. 
probably shut the door and not pick it up, but that, we, we, let's pick it up today. You open a certified letter from, a, from the letterhead. Was, it was written by some New York City lawyer. You open it up, and the letter says, Your great aunt, whom you barely remember from family reunions, has died, and she has left her sole inheritance to you. Let's just say it's several million dollars. Now, what are you going to do? I don't remember that lady, so stick it back in the mailbox and close the door. That ain't going to happen. You know what? I know it. It ain't going to happen. So what is this? Are you going to say, well, that's, that's pretty nice. I, I appreciate that. And just going about business. Of course not. The next paragraph says her estate is more than a million dollars. And you get it all, every penny of it. If you receive a letter like that and you were convinced it wasn't a hoax, would it change everything in your life? Of course it would. I got a $25 check, it'd probably change my life. But it's, I mean, think about that. If you received a check from somebody that you barely knew, barely remember, let's just say it's $10 million for that. I mean, we can play big right now. It doesn't matter anyway. But it's, it's going to change your life. And here we just read that God says, you are inherited to every spiritual blessing. And there's many people that's never changed their life because of it. Oh, they got saved. They got dunked in this water back here. They were a member of this church. But it never changed their lives. You see what Paul's talking about in this book? The Spirit of God in our lives, the Spirit of God in our minds and our hearts ought to change something in us. I've said several times since I've been here and will continue saying if your life didn't change when you got changed, if your life hasn't changed since you got saved, you need to go back and check your salvation. Because God's in the life-changing business. And when Christ comes into your life, if it's real, it's going to change you. I don't know how. I know how it changed me. But it may be totally different for you. But God's going to change you. There's going to be something different about you. You're going to have more desires to do things with God. You're going to want to come to church. Did you realize that every Sunday morning this church ought to be full to capacity? Every, in fact, every church in town, a Christ-believing church, ought to be full to capacity. Because I guarantee you, if you were to gather all the Christians in this city together, there would be more than would fill every one of these churches around here. Why don't we? Exactly what we're talking about. They've lost the vision. They've lost the glow, whatever it may be. Look at Ephesians 1.18. This is my prayer for you during the study of Ephesians. Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which, is, which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. Do you see what Jesus just said? I've already called you. I've already got something ready for you. I've got it ready. But so many times we're not the one, we're the ones that are not ready. Because God is your father, you are an heir of God. 
the riches of his glorious inheritance. It may be, may you, you may not recognize it or realize it, how rich you are spiritually speaking. Did you know that my Bible teaches me that I can pray about anything and God's going to answer? I didn't say he'd answer yes or no. I said he's going to answer. It may be wait a while. It may be pray harder, pray longer, pray more often. I don't know. But God promises every spiritual blessing is what we have. My prayer for you is during this study that we will open our eyes and you'll see I'm rich in Christ. You are rich in Christ. That don't mean you've got a few dollars of Christ in your pocket. That means you've got everything that Christ has access to. Now, don't think it's anything like hocus-pocus. You can go out and pray, Okay, God, you said I can have this. I want it right now. I don't think God's going to answer that. But He will show you things that you have. And that's what the book of Ephesians teaches. When the Rockefellers died, I personally did not know them. I didn't get excited when they died because my name's not Rockefeller. Now, if my name had been Rockefeller, I might have got excited that week. But it wasn't. But God is your father if you're a Christian. I need to say that because there, are, there is a heresy of what we call universalism in our world today and teaches that God is the father of everybody. Isn't it? Everybody says, well, well God's all of our father. That's not what God's word teaches. Let me show you. He, he reads just a little bit down. As many as received him, excuse me, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. That does not include all mankind, folks. We may like it because it feels good, but that's not what it says. Remember when Jesus was speaking to some very religious but lost people? called the Pharisees one time and says, you are of your father, the devil. This is the religious leaders. He says, you and your father are the devil. You are in one of two families. You're either in the family of God or the family of the evil one. If you're a child of God, you're not an heir of the father, and it's all, you are an heir of the father, but it's all in the family. Because it's the family of Jesus Christ. I remember back in my early ministry. Now, I, I, I've already told people most of the time, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I remember, the, I believe the second church was at, but we had Bible school. You know, everybody has Bible school in the summertime, and we had Bible school. And it, uh, we had a pledge, of a, a pledge to the Christian flag. You all remember that? Here it is. Here's what we said. I wasn't smart enough to know about that time, but did you know there's some uh, heretical statements in that pledge? Bear with me. Don't judge me yet. Just hear what I say. We used to say, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one brotherhood uniting all mankind in service and love. Did you ever say that? But, you know, we've changed it. Did you realize that? Here's what we say nowadays. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one brotherhood uniting all 
Christians in service and love. What's the big deal? God's not the Father to all mankind. He's the Father to you and I if you're a Christian. As you say, well, that's a silly little statement. What, what's the difference? Well, if you read it close, it means all the difference in the world. Because everybody outside these doors are not my brother and sister. Some may be in this church right now that are not my brother and sister in Christ because you don't know Jesus Christ. You're not in Him. Let's move along. We're Christians in service and love. Yes, that's our brothers and, Christ, brothers and sisters. Everybody in this room, I believe, is a Christian. So I'm going to call you, you're my brother, you're my sister, as we stand here today. Because we're all Christians. That's a very important distinction. God is the father of those who have been born into his family, folks. Not mankind. He's the source of every blessing. Now, my parents are both dead and have been for several years now, but just let me use them as a little deal. Suppose they were still alive, and both of my parents died within days of each other. They died, just some disease, whatever it may be. And I inherited everything they had. It didn't happen. It's not going to happen, but let's play the game for a little bit. The right thing would be to, for me to divide between my two brothers, right? Because there's a family. I took what little part I had and I invested it immediately in a perhaps a college fund for kids. Uh, so one day they can go to college when they grow up. Spiritually speaking, God the Father has already willed to you everything He has. Spiritually speaking. The spirituality of the blessing. Notice thirdly, the spirituality of Look at verse 3. Again, every spiritual blessing. Some of your eyes lit up when I started to talk about $12 million or $10 million, whatever I said a while ago. Because you could see that. You could envision that. Wow, wouldn't it change my life? What would you do if I had $12 million and said, after church meet me and I'll give you a million apiece? Well, I couldn't. The first 12 would be up here in no time. Probably with the hands out grabbing. And I'd be there too if it was me. We have physical needs. You have financial needs. You have emotional needs. But the greatest needs are spiritual needs, folks. The greatest needs that any of us have are spiritual needs. Do you remember the story of Jesus when he was in the house? Uh, you know, there's having a service in there, and these guys got up on the roof and started tearing up the roof. Y'all remember that story? You know, taking it, I, I believe it's in Luke, but anyway, just, the, you know, they came. They in a building that was so crowded they couldn't get in. There's no way for people to get in. And they lowered this guy on a stretcher down, right in front of here, down here, and Jesus was up here preaching and teaching. And, and here come this guy. I mean, the roof began to flake and fall down, and what in the world's going on? And they begin to lower this guy down. He was a paralytic on a bed. He could not walk. He couldn't get up. He couldn't do anything. You remember the first thing that Jesus said to him? Get up and walk. No, he didn't say that. You know what he said? Your sins be forgiven. Why did he say that? Here's a guy laying on a bed, can't move. He's paralyzed from head to foot. 
People have to carry him everywhere he goes. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Why did he say that? Because that's the greatest need in every one of our lives. That's the greatest need that you have if you're sitting here today. That's the greatest need anybody had. Jesus looked at that young man and said, your sins are forgiven you. Then he said, rise up and walk. That guy didn't walk out of that room. He grabbed that bed and he was shouting and praising and hollering and everything else as he went out those doors. He wasn't Baptist, obviously, but it just... But he was excited because it changed his life. But what really changed his life is when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. That was the greatest thing he could do. And guess what? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, that's the best thing he can do for you. He could give you $12 million. That wouldn't be a problem for him. But that wouldn't solve anything. But when he says your sins are forgiven, that makes a difference. That young man on that bed, I'm sure after he said that, he was still laying there. He didn't know he could move until Jesus said those words, rise up, take your bed and go home. Can't you imagine that guy laying there? I mean, he's been all of his life he's been there. He's never walked a day in his life. He's never been able to stand up. All of a sudden, the words of Jesus were so powerful. I bet he, it may have been slow, but he began to, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to sit up. All of a sudden, he sat up on that bed. Hey, something's changed. He began to lift himself up. Whoa, what's going on here? I can move my hands. I can move my feet. I bet it didn't take too long after them for him to jump up. Grabbed that bed, probably turned around and looked at Jesus and said, what am I doing, doing next? He says, take your bed and go home. I bet you that. Now, remember, this place was packed full. Nobody could get in the doors. It's so full. I bet when he started running that aisle, people got out of his way because they didn't want to be in the front of him. He was moving at full speed. Probably still carrying that bed just in case. But... All Jesus said was, your sins are forgiven. Let me ask you this morning, as we close. As you sit here today, can you say that your sins have been forgiven? I didn't say if you sinned yesterday, because if that's the case, you're looking at one that did yesterday. Every day of my life, I say something, do something, smart off something, what it may be. That's not what I'm talking about. Have your sins been forgiven? Have they been uh, forgiven? Let me read you this little story as we're closing. Most of you know the name of Miss Bertha Smith. She's a longtime Southern Baptist missionary in China. She taught and preached, yes, preached, until she was almost 100 years old. Everybody called her Miss Bertha. I saw a video with her teaching once, in a, and it really blessed me. Now, this was on film. It wasn't live as years passed. She was talking about being in Christ and what it meant. And she quoted John fourteen twenty, where Jesus said, I am the Father, you are in me, and I am, and I am in you. Miss Bertha had a simple way of teaching. She used object lessons and a flannel board. Y'all remember what those are? Been a few years. The box 
she had a box that she got out with a top on it. And she was teaching this class. Now, this is on video, so I mean, it's years ago. But the box had a sign on the, on the side reading, God the Father, on the box. She opened up the box and brought out a smaller box. One smaller. Jesus, he said, this is Jesus Christ. Then she opened that box and pulled out an even smaller box. And she said, this is me. She was illustrating that I am in Christ and Christ is in God. And the only way you'll ever get me out of Christ is to get Christ out of God. And that's not going to happen, is what she said. Which is utterly impossible. I was already blessed. Then she did something that really lit my fire as I watched this little video. In fact, you can probably still find it on the computer if you want to look for it. I, I can't tell you what's under. But anyway, she took the little box that said, me, and took the top off and lifted a smaller box out of it, which read, Jesus Christ. Because she said, Christ is in you. You're in Christ. Christ is in God. That's all I need to be secure. What a true statement that was. You are rich. You're an heir of God, if you're a child of God. And I want you to walk out of here today acting like a child of God. Why don't we act like a child of God during the week? And I'm looking at myself too. I get discouraged sometimes. Sometimes I just don't feel good. I just don't feel like doing praising God. But yet, when I look at what God's given me, I've got nothing but praises to praise Him for. There's nothing... You're rich. You are an heir to God. And I want us today in just a few minutes when we dismiss to walk out of this place totally acting like a blood-bought royal child of God because that is our spiritual blessing. That is our spiritual blessing. I didn't say that. God said it. It's not based on me. It's based on God. And folks, I think we'd all agree God is a little more powerful than we are. He can bless you in ways you never even know. In fact, I'm totally convinced that God wants to give us more blessings. We're, not, we're just not ready to accept them. Oh, God, I don't want to do that anymore. Just leave, leave me alone for a while and I'll just be myself. And God says, you don't realize the blessings you have. I believe that right now, it's like God is over this church. He's got a handful of blessings. And He wants to just drop them and pour them on this church. But we're not ready to receive it. We're not ready to receive it. Why not? God wants to bless us in heavenly places. In ways we can't imagine. Do you think that God put this church here? And didn't intend to ever bless this church. It'd be a barn by now if that was the case. Or whatever it turned into. God wants to pour His spiritual blessings upon each and every one of us. You may not be a member here. God still wants to pour His blessings upon if you're a child of God. See, it doesn't depend on who we are. How important we think we are. 
sometimes I get to feeling a little cocky and I'll be getting dressed in the morning and look in the mirror and says, you're the pastor of the church. And God knocks me down and says, no, Judy's in charge. <laughs> no, not really, but <laughs> close anyway. <laughs> she tells me what to do every day. But it's, we get that way, that we think we're somebody important. But God says, no, you're somebody that's blessed. That's what you are. Do you know the blessings of God? God said, you can have all the spiritual blessings. Think about what we're missing because we sit around with frowns on our faces and down and out because we didn't get this or we didn't get that for Christmas or somebody's got this better than I do or they drive a nicer car than I drive. We sit around and complain, complain, and complain. And God says, I gave you all those spiritual blessings and you left them sitting on the floor. God is a good God, folks. And He wants to bless us. But He also expects us to be used by Him. Ephesians is a neat little book. I hope you'll consider coming tonight. Uh, we may do it like we did Revelations, and even though it's very short, share the lesson. I, I'm not a great teacher. I'll be the first to admit it. But yet, God puts people in this church that have blessings and have different interpretations. And so let me challenge you tonight to come. You may be a visitor. You're welcome to come. Come on. We'd love to have you. Like I say, we meet back in the fellowship hall just for closeness. Just have a fun time learning God's Word. I hope God lays it on your heart that we'll have this many at least in the fellowship hall. Do you have the blessings of God this morning? Are you a child of God this morning? Then you should have them. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. Lord, as we come to close this service, we just ask that you'd be with each one of us. Lord, you know the needs that are here today. Lord, we know people have problems inside this church. They go home and they've got challenges in many ways, family problems, just numerous things that we all face during the week of, uh, week of that we go into. And I would just ask that you would remind us that Ephesians says that we've got all the spiritual blessings waiting on us. I don't have to wait one day to have a place in heaven because the Bible tells me I've already got it. It's waiting on me. Lord, open our eyes to see what you're doing, what you're doing for us. And we just turn and walk off many times. Lord, there may be somebody here today that does not know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. That's the greatest thing we can do this morning is to give them opportunity. In just a moment, our deacons will be standing on the side of the building. And Lord, if anybody needs to come forward, they can stop and talk to one of them. I'll be down here. We can pray together. You can pray with Grab somebody next to you and take them down and say, just pray with me, will you? And use these steps as an altar. We're not worried about a time clock. We're not worried about getting home real quick. We're worried about being the servants that God wants us to be. Where are you this morning? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.